Pastor Stuart Briscoe told the story of one of his young ministerial colleagues who officiated the funeral of a military veteran. The deceased man's friends from the military wanted to show their honor during the funeral service, so they requested of this young new pastor if he would lead them into the funeral parlor that morning in procession down to the casket, stand with them for a moment of silence, and then recess them out a side door. And the young pastor said, I'll be honored to do that. And everything went really well until they started to leave. And the pastor ceremoniously led that whole group of men out the side door into a broom closet. (laughs) Realizing his mistake, had to turn around and sheepishly walk them all back out in front of the mourners to the appropriate door to the side. I think there are two lessons in that story. The first is, if you're leading, you need to know where you're going. And the second is, if you're following, you need to make sure the guy you're following knows where he's going. And you know, that is certainly true in the life of a local church like ours. It is incumbent upon me as a pastor called by God and entrusted by you to lead this congregation in this new year, that I know where I'm going. It is incumbent upon me to lead you in a way that is appropriate. In fact, in all of 2019, and I'm not exaggerating, literally every day of 2019, I thought of and prayed and planned and sought the vision that God has for this church in this new year. Because I believe I owe it to the Lord and I owe it to you to make sure I'm leading in the direction that Jesus would have us to go. And I think it's also important to you. You want to know that you're in a church where the pastors are leading in a spiritual and biblical way. You want to know. So how can I know as your pastor that I'm leading in the right way? And how can you know that you can follow me? Well, I believe that spiritual leaders lead by following Christ. That really when you Bring it down to its essence. What it means to be a spiritual leader in the church is spiritual leaders lead by following. Not the whims of people, not their personal preferences, not the latest trend or fad in the church world, but spiritual leaders lead by following Christ. And I think it's also true that spiritual leaders who lead by following Christ are worthy of following And in this new year, it'll be a blessing to you, it'll be a blessing to the church, it'll be a blessing to our community, and more than that, it'll bring honor to God if you have a pastor and pastors on staff who are following God as they lead you. So today I want to start this new series for the month of January called One Church by really preaching a sermon to myself. I'm always preaching to you, but today I'm going to preach a sermon to myself and to our other pastors on staff. But you get the benefits of us being the spiritual leaders we're supposed to be. So don't tune out because you have a part to play in what God is doing in the life of our church. And so what I want to do is take you to what I'm calling a profile of a pastor. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in your New Testament, I'm going to put the words on the screen as well if that makes it easy for you to follow. But there's nothing like opening up your own copy of God's Word and seeing it with your own eyes. 
1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And what I want to do today is I want to read through the passage in its entirety. And then I want to come back and just walk through these verses together as we unpack this profile of a pastor. Because this is going to give me what I need to know so that I can lead like Christ wants me to lead. And it's going to give you what you need to know in confidence as you follow me as your pastor. And so in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, the apostle Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The apostle Peter is writing to Christians in the first century who were being persecuted because of their faith in Christ. They're being persecuted primarily by the Roman government who was hostile to Christians at times and put Christians to death. These Christians have been scattered. They've had to flee, many of them, from their homes and their communities, and they're forming little congregations in hiding. Peter wrote this letter, and this letter has been circulated among these house churches in these different communities to Christians who are going through, as Peter would call it in this letter, painful trials. And he's wanting to encourage the Christians in the church to keep their faith in Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus. But he's also concerned about the pastors. Because pastors, too, are suffering in the first century. And it would be easy for some of those pastors to surmise, it is easier to get along and to live my life and to take care of my family if I just back away from Christ, back away from leading the church it's too painful at this time. The price is too high. And Peter says, no. In times of persecution, even when it's not easy, we need pastors who will step up and who will lead by following Christ. And so that's why we see, first of all, him writing about the role of biblical eldership. In verse 1, he writes, So I exhort the elders... Among you. And then he calls himself a fellow elder. Now, when he's using the word elder, the word literally means an older one. But in the time Peter is writing, it has become designated as an ordained office of the church. That when he uses the word elder, he's not necessarily referring to just the older men in the church, he's now referring to the spiritual leaders of the church. He's referring to spiritual leaders that we in our day call more commonly pastors. There are really three words in the New Testament that speak of my role. One word that we don't often use in Baptist churches but is a biblical word is the word elder. Presbyteros in the Greek is where we get the name Presbyterian from. In ancient Israel, elders were the older men of the community and they led the community to follow God with their wisdom and their experience. But by the first century church, elder did not speak so much of age as it did character. And God 
sent elders to lead local congregations. Now remember, Paul talked about a young pastor named Timothy. And he wrote a letter to him, 1 Timothy. And he said to Timothy, that young pastor, who was an elder nonetheless, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. But instead, be an example by how you live. Be an example in your speech. Be an example in your conduct. Be an example in your purity. Be an example in your faith. Be an example in your love. So the role of biblical eldership is one who leads the church with wisdom and with skill and with integrity. An elder is who I am in the church. And I'm not the only one. The biblical pattern of the New Testament is that there's a plurality of elders in a local church. Often Baptists have this notion that there's just one pastor and that's it. And there always is a lead pastor. Someone has to lead the team and lead the organization. But a healthy church has more than one if they're of a significant size. That's why we have people like Pastor Craig Marsh who just led us in worship. We have Pastor Joe Otwell, our student pastor. We have Pastor Matt Sparling, our children's pastor, next-gen pastor. They're ordained into the gospel ministry just like I am, and they're a part of the spiritual elders that lead our church in following Christ. And Peter describes himself as a fellow elder. Peter's saying, what I'm about to write to you and what I'm about to encourage you to do as a spiritual leader in the church is not coming to you from someone sitting in their ivory tower who has no clue what it's like to be a pastor under any circumstance, much less painful circumstances. Peter says, no, I'm writing to you because I am one of you. I'm a fellow pastor. I know what it's like to lead a congregation. I know what it's like to preach the word. I know what it's like to evangelize the lost. I know what it's like to be opposed by the world who doesn't love Christ. Therefore, they don't love you as Christ's messenger. And that gave those elders a little comfort to know that what Peter is writing is coming from someone who gets it, who understands. So the role of biblical eldership is to lead the church with wisdom and with skill. Now he starts thinking about and writing about the responsibilities of biblical eldership in verses 2 and following. He talks about the responsibilities. An elder is who I am as your pastor, but what do I do as the elder, spiritual leader of our church? Well, Peter's concerned with two things. He's concerned with elders exhibiting the right actions with the right attitudes. And both of those are important. I've met a lot of pastors who did the right thing with a terrible attitude. And Peter says, I'm concerned about both. So he begins with right actions. Look at verse 2. He writes to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. An elder is who you are. Shepherding is what you do. Now this was a very common image in the first century in an agrarian society. It was not uncommon to see a shepherd with a flock of sheep on those Palestinian hillsides where Peter is from. But in our 21st century, shepherding just seems foreign to us. But literally, the word means to care for, to guide, to feed, and to protect a flock. 
If you're a literal shepherd, it's a literal flock of sheep. If you're a pastor, you're shepherding, you're caring for, you're leading, you're feeding, you're protecting a group of believers that God has entrusted to your care. It's the image of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What if we change that word? The Lord is my pastor, I shall not want. What you see the, the Lord doing in the 23rd Psalm is what a good pastor is going to do for the congregation he serves. He's going to know them. He's going to love them. He's going to lead them to green pastures and feed them God's word. He's going to give them calm waters to refresh their soul. He's going to restore them when they've strayed. He's going to be with them in the valley of the shadow of death. He's going to protect them when the enemy tries to destroy them. And he's going to lead them in God's paths. That's what a pastor does. And where the word elder is presbyteros in the Greek, the, the word for shepherding is poimen. It means to pastor. So Peter is saying, pastor the flock of God that is among you. And one of the great titles that I carry is the title of pastor. Man, I am so humbled to be your pastor to know you, to love you, to care for you, to walk with you through life, to feed you from God's word, to counsel you, to protect you, to help restore you. It is an honor of my life. But there's another role that I have to play besides just being a good pastor who is there with you in the good times and the bad times of life. I have to also lead the church. Notice what he writes in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Here's the second right action. Exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. That's a third Greek word uh, where we get the English word, word overseer or bishop. Now sadly, in church history, many denominations have made these three distinct offices. Well, we have bishops at the top, and then we have elders, and then we have pastors. But I believe the New Testament pattern right here is that all three of these are descriptive of my role. I am an elder who practices his ministry through pastoring the people and overseeing the church. It's not a hierarchy. It's just a Christian gifted by God, called by God to do something different in the church. Oversight. Taking personal responsibility. Leading the decisions that the congregation needs to make to follow God's will. And this is where I find the greatest rub. Is people don't mind a pastor who preaches the, the word of God. And who loves them to show up at the hospital when they're having surgery. Anybody ever had me visit you or one of our pastors visit you in the hospital? Yeah, so many of you. Nobody minds to call on the pastor when we're lost a loved one and we need someone to conduct a funeral service or we, we, we were getting married and we want him to conduct our wedding ceremony. Everybody loves that role of a pastor. But where people often push back on a pastor's role is the job of overseeing the church. Of literally saying, somewhere we have to take all that we believe God is saying to us and listen to the wise people God has given our congregation, get as much feedback and input as we can. But in the end, somebody's got to say, this is the direction we believe God is leading us. And that means providing oversight. 
I'm doing just as much my job as your pastor when I'm sitting with you at a hospital as when I'm sitting in a finance team meeting that meets every month or a board of trustee meeting that meets every other month or when I'm consulting with our church attorney to make sure that when we do things, we do it with ethics and integrity and transparency. That whenever we handle the finances, that we do things with wisdom because my job is to give oversight to the church. That's why the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 to the church, Obey your leaders, for they watch over your souls. Do what they say, because they are accountable to God. Let them do so with joy and not with sorrow, for this would be unprofitable to you. So it's the pastor's job to love, to care, to feed but also to guide, to protect, and to direct the congregation that God has entrusted to him. But Peter's not just worried about right actions. He's also worried about right attitudes. Look again at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, here it is, not under compulsion, but willingly. He says to the fellow elders, don't serve the church because you have to but because you get to. Listen, you don't need a pastor who doesn't want to be your pastor. (laughs) And if you're a pastor, why are you there if you don't want to be there? Whenever people tell me they feel called into pastoral ministry, one of the first things I tell them is one of the first things my pastor told me when I was 17 years old feeling the call into ministry. He said, if you can go and do anything else and be happy, go do that. There are many ways to serve God's kingdom. There are many ways to serve God's church. You don't have to be a pastor. If you can do anything else and be happy, go do that. And if you're not going to be happy, don't be a pastor. There was a pastor in our town many years ago. I would see him in public. I would try to speak to him, shake his hand. He would not speak to me. He would look at me eye in the eye and then turn around and walk away. I mean, he would snub me on every occasion I would see him. And so I finally picked up the phone and called him and said, I want to take you to lunch. He said, why? I said, let's just meet for lunch. So I took him to lunch and I said, I think I've offended you. I'm not sure how I've offended you. I don't know what I've done. But every single time I see you in public, at a hospital or at a denominational meeting, you will not give me the time of day, even though I try to speak to you and be polite. He looked at me across the table at Applebee's on Atlantic Boulevard and he said, oh, well, I'll tell you like I tell my church. I'm not a people person. It's not my job to be your friend. My job is to preach and to lead the church. If I see you in public, I'm probably not going to speak to you. And I said, wow, I'm so glad to hear that because I thought I had the problem. (laughs) Thinking, why are you in this if you don't like people? That's like a doctor saying, I love my job. It wasn't for all these stinking sick people. I mean, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Serve the church, not because you have to, but because you get to. And and he continues, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, and not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So serve the church, not greedily, but eagerly. Serve the church, not because you're motivated by money, but you're motivated by the Lord and His call on your life. Pastors should never be motivated by getting rich and making more money. Now, he's not saying that money is the problem. 
In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Bible says, In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Nothing wrong with a church paying a pastor. I'm so grateful there's nothing wrong with a church uh, paying a salary to a pastor. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Nothing wrong with a church supporting a pastor so that his time and his focus are not divided, but he can focus on the congregation and the Lord. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 says, Those who desire to be rich fall into many temptations, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, and they plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And there are many ministers who wouldn't do what they do if they weren't getting paid. There have been, there have been folks who have come here and told me they called into the ministry and they want to get up here and preach on a Sunday morning. But I've noticed about them, and this is many years ago, nobody in the room, so don't look around, says, he talking about this guy or that guy. They're not here. And, I, and you'll know why they're not here after this. But so I, I, I'm called to preach, and I want to preach. Well, here, before we start there, we got a life group we'd love for you to lead. Nope. Why don't you serve as an usher at the church? Nope. Why don't you make some hospital visits? Go check on some widows in the nursing home. Nope. So you just want to be under the lights on Sunday morning is what you want. And you want to just be on staff at our church. Okay, I see what you're really after. You're after a paycheck is what you're after. Can I tell you something about uh, our, our former associate pastor, Dr. John Schultz? That man was a master chief in the United States Navy when he was a member of this church, not ordained into the ministry and not on staff here. I would call that man in the middle of the night and say, so-and-so is in the emergency room. They're probably not going to make it. Do you mind if I come and pick you up and you go with me to the hospital? He never turned me down. Every time he would say, I'll, I'll be ready. He would go with me to hospitals. He would drive with me to funerals. He was a life group leader in our church. He served as a deacon. He sang in the choir. He passed out bulletins. He showed up on work days. He painted hallways. He went to nursing homes. And then when he said to me one day, I think God's calling me into ministry, I was able to say to him, I've known that for a long time. I wanted you to be God called, not Ricky called. You know why he was in the ministry? Not for the money, but for the glory of God. And then in verse 3, the attitude, you should serve the church not to be over people, but to set an example before people. It says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Don't be a dictator. Don't dominate the people. Don't lord your position over the church, but instead set an example for the people. It was Warren Wiersbe who wrote, Pastors are overseers, not overlords. And I agree with that. Can I be honest with you? There's really only one senior pastor of this church, and his name is Jesus Christ. I'm nobody, but a sinner saved by grace, called by God to serve you. And I'm humbled. I don't deserve it, but I'm humbled by that. But my job is not to domineer you and to be a, a spiritual dictator who abuses his authority and uses people. 
If you're not familiar with the Baptist world, the way ministers are ordained or set aside, set apart for the gospel ministry is after they've been examined by a local church like this one. And the local church says, yes, we see the hand of God on this person's life. And we believe God is calling them. That church then lays hands on them, signifying the Spirit of God, sending them out into ministry. And during that ceremony, there's a charge to the candidate. And when I was 19 years old, it was my time to be ordained. And I was sitting right about where Brother Bob is. Bob, raise your hand. Brother Bob. I never called you Brother Bob, but that just came right out. So Bob Holcomb right here. So I was sitting right about where Bob is in that little church in Lake Park, Georgia. Dr. Clyde Stokes was preaching the charge to the candidate, which meant one sermon to one person. Have you ever come to church and you thought, I think he's preaching to me. Well, on that occasion, I knew I'm being preached to. And among other things, Dr. Clyde Stokes, who is still my dear friend, pointed his finger across the pulpit and he pointed at me and he said, Ricky, don't ever use people to build your ministry. Use your ministry to build these people. That has stayed with me. Peter would say, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Jesus said to his disciples, you know how the Gentiles lord it over them and they exercise great authority. It shall not be so among you. Whoever wants to be greatest, let him be the least. Whoever wants to be first, let him be last. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. So pastors are not to give orders from on high, but are to give direction up front. Saying, I'm seeking to lead you by first following the Lord. And I'm going to set an example in how I live my life. A life, hopefully, that is, you know is not perfect. Don't say amen here. This is the wrong time to say amen. But a life that is not perfect, a pastor who is not perfect, but a life that is an example of faith and purity and love and joy. Set an example for the sheep to follow. And then finally, Paul or Peter writes about the rewards of biblical eldership, the role of a biblical elder lead with wisdom and skill. The responsibilities of a biblical elder shepherd the flock and oversee the flock. And the reward of biblical eldership, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In verse 2, Peter commands elders to shepherd the flock of God. But in verse 4, he reminds those elders, they're merely under-shepherds. He is the chief shepherd. Three times in your New Testament, Jesus is referred to as a shepherd. In John chapter 10, he calls himself the good shepherd. John 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20, he is called the great shepherd who having laid down his life for the sheep, rose from the dead, having paid the price for our redemption through his own blood. And here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, he is called the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. And one day, 
every elder, every spiritual leader will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of how we led his church, his flock. You think your pastor loves you? It pales in comparison with how much Jesus loves you. And one day I'm going to have to give an account to him. And Peter says, when he appears, when Jesus comes back that second time and we all stand before Christ to give an account of our lives, elders will receive the unfading crown of glory. In ancient days, whether it be the Isthmian Games or the Olympic Games, a victorious athlete would be called before the judge of the games. And the judge seated at the bema seat, the judgment seat, would take a garland wreath and he would place it on the victor's head. Give him the victor's crown. And that athlete, having won his competition, would wear that green garland wreath with pride. But eventually, he had to go home He had to take it off and place it somewhere significant in his home. And over time, that beautiful green garland wreath would wither, fade, decay, become brown and dried out. Just a reminder of glory days gone by as an old athlete looked at that garland. But Peter says there's coming a day when every pastor is going to stand before the senior pastor. And if he has run the race, if he has kept the faith, if he has finished his course, Christ is going to place on his head an unfading crown of glory. And what is that glory? The apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, is it not even you? Are you not our glory? Are you not our joy? Are you not our crown of rejoicing at Christ appearing? Paul said, for me, part of that crown is going to be standing before my Savior and my Lord, but also looking around and seeing the flock of God that He entrusted to me and to know that we're finally here. We've made it. We're before our Lord and our Savior. And knowing that you're going to be there brings all the joy I need. And I think seeing Jesus is the greatest crown of glory. I have preached, and your father has preached, more sermons about a Savior we've never seen with our eyes of flesh, only with our eyes of faith. We have stood by the bedside of a dying saint of God, And we have touched them with our own hands as an extension of the hand of Christ. We have never heard Jesus with our own ears, but we get up and preach his words every Sunday. But one day, we're going to see Christ. And I pray that he says to me and to others, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys and rewards of thy Lord. That is glory. We used to see in that little church I was from, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day. Glorious day that will be. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching this sermon today? Because I need you to hear my heart 
I want to be a spiritual leader who leads by following Christ. And the vision I set before you next Sunday is a vision I believe Christ is leading this church into. You might want to write this in your bulletin, something that maybe is profound, you've never thought of it before. You may even want to, you know, needlepoint this and frame it somewhere. <laughs> Pastor Ricky cannot please everyone. But I am seeking to please one. And that's Jesus Christ. Next week, I'm so excited about sharing with you what God is doing, and I invite you into the vision that God has for us. Will it always be easy? Is it always comfortable? Is it what everybody likes? Are we going to put it to a vote? No. But I promise you this. I will be a spiritual leader who leads by first following Christ, and I'm going to invite you. Follow that kind of a leader who is worthy of following. As long as I'm being biblical and ethical and setting an example before you, don't make me try to live up to the criteria of making everyone happy. In the end, say, we've got a pastor who is leading by following Christ. And that's the person I will follow. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for your word that is so clear to us. Thank you for the calling you've placed on my life. Thank you for the way this church has entrusted that call to me as their pastor, one of their pastors. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would guide us into the greater days ahead as we seek to come together in unity before your throne and that we would be the people of God that you would have us to be. And God, we know that whatever vision you've given this church, it will be biblical, it'll bring glory to Christ, it will reach souls and be passionate about the lost who need Jesus. And so I pray, Father, that you would call us together as one church. Build on the unity that we enjoy here as we continue to serve you in this new year. God, if there's anyone in this room who needs Jesus as their Savior, we pray that today they would trust him and him alone for the forgiveness of their sin and for the gift of eternal life. And they'll become a part of a local body of believers, the flock of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.